Well, no, wait a minute. No, we, we already passed out the... Let me look at that. That, uh, did you start? Okay, that's good. Now, if anybody wants any of these handouts, passed out maps last week and got this this week, uh, let us know on this Facebook and we'll get them to you. All right. There's actually two pages here. This little helps here. We're in the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to go 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And here we have, and there's these, these are not exact. Matter of fact, there's even some question marks here. But this is a places and dates of the writings of the New Testament epistles. So you got the decade, uh, and then you got the book, and then the place, and then the date. And those dates, some of them are fairly certain, others are just maybe about. So here we got First Timothy down here in the latest section, and I believe that that uh, these uh, First, Second Timothy, and Titus, I believe they're in the, towards the end of Paul's ministry. Then on the next one over there on the right, you had groupings of New Testament books. So there you got one, there's history, the four Gospels and the book of the Acts. And that's the Acts of the Church. The heading says Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the Church. And then you got the Epistles, the Pauline Epistles. Uh, those are all that Paul wrote. I ah, see, so he he's got General Epistle, uh, next one, and Got Hebrews there, but I believe Paul still wrote that one. But anyway, you got the journey epistles, and then the prison epistles, and then the pastoral epistles, and that's what we're in tonight. And then the general Hebrews and James, because they're not they're not specifically addressed to any church. Then you got these others, Peter and John and Jude. Then the visions, revelation. I thought it just might help you. All right. Now we're going to 1 Timothy, the first chapter. I don't know about you all, but I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world right now. I'm where I want to be. And I want to be here till they carry me out feet first. I hope not soon. Huh? I hope not soon. Well, I'm not, see, I, I'm not, I'm ready to go, just not now. <laughs> uh, all right, chapter one of First Timothy, and we got through verse ten, but I want to back up here a little bit. Verse eight. But we know that the law is good if a one. It doesn't say man's tis. It's anyone use it lawfully. That would be according to the law. God's law. And knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, uh, but for the lawless and disobedient. Now, I don't have to have a speed limit. I'm not going to race anyway. I'm going to drive like I can control it. I'm not going to come up on something and not be able to handle it. A lot of people don't like that. They don't want to get behind. Just don't get behind me. Go around me. But when, when the emergency comes, I'm going to be able to handle it. 
Well, I do watch speed limits. Try not to break them. Stop signs, red lights. You know, I try to abide by good good rules. But I'm not going to be running like a banshee anyway. So what it says, the law is not made for a righteous man, but for an unrighteous man. So, and it's kind of, it's, that's a little bit of a stretch there, but it's kind of an illustration. It's made for the lawless and disobedient. Now notice the, notice the pattern here, or the, uh, yeah, pattern. For the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, and profane. I think those probably would match the first le- table of the commandments, Ten Commandments. Well, and then he says, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Well, I know you get into the second table, thou shalt do no murder. Well, he said, honor thy father and thy mother. Boy, ha, uh, to murder your father, murder your mother, that's sure not honor. So he's, he's running the same pattern of the Ten Commandments here. But now look, for whoremongers. Now you thou shalt not commit adultery. For the, them that defile themselves with mankind. Defile themselves. That literally says men in bed. Is that plain enough? For those that oh it doesn't talk about homosexuals. Yes it does. Yes, it does. Uh, for men stealers, that'd be slavers. For liars, for perjured persons. Now you're with, thou shalt not bear false witness, a perjured person. That's, that's what you commit when you get on a witness stand and swear to a lie. That's perjury. That's a prison offense. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, and that's according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Notice his connection with law keeping and the gospel. People say, oh, well, we're we're under grace now. We've got the gospel. That doesn't mean that you can forget the law. Amen. And there's plenty of them that are trying to do it. Oh, we're not under the law. You better watch your mouth when you say that. Right here you've got it. I just want to emphasize that. Now verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. So well, Paul had all that Great training from his youth up, Pharisee, Gamaliel, and all that. But Paul didn't look to that to put him in the ministry. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. That's where he got got his calling. 
for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Putting me into the ministry. So, well, boy, y'all make a good one. Really. I don't think you and I have that much knowledge. God calls them. And when he calls them, he enables them to do what he wants them to do. Now he's talking about himself, who was before a blasphemer. They blasphemed Jesus Christ. Well, Saul of Tarsus did also. He was a blasphemer. Uh, he didn't say he did it a time or two. He was a blasphemer. The point is, he didn't just do it a time or two. And you know, about every sin is addictive. About every one of them is. I don't know that I could tell you one that wasn't. Every one of them are addictive. And you, you run loose in the flesh, and then you are whatever that is. Drunkard, drughead, whatever. Paul said he was a blasphemer. That was habitual. Now, 1 John says that you don't do that if you're born of God. You don't become, you don't, you don't be a habitual sinner of any sin. But in the flesh, sin is habitual. He was a blasphemer and a persecutor. Not just happened one time. We look back at Stephen when he held the coats there and gave permission to stone Stephen to death. That wasn't his only time. He was, in, he was in the habit of that. That's what he was doing. That's what he was. A blasphemer and a persecutor. And injurious. Seeking ways to harm the servants of Christ. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now that's when he was a Pharisee on the, on the Sanhedrin council. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was at, at the top. He said, I was ignorant and in unbelief. He, he reserved no illusions of grandeur about what he was. He wasn't proud of his past. He had, he had a dark past. Well, the truth of the matter is, no child of God has anything but a dark past. Some of us are different, worse than others, but none of us have anything but a dark past. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Not just abundant, exceeding abundant. With faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't conjure that up by himself. He didn't conjure it up from within himself. He got it from the Lord. Paul knew that 
saving faith was a gift of God. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. It's true that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am proto, chief, first, top. I'm at the top of the list of sinners. Well, he couldn't have been as bad as me. Well, Paul said he was worse. And I'm not going to argue with him. How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And there's Paul, a pattern. The way God dealt with Paul. Who was Paul? He was a blasphemer. He was a per- persecutor. He was injurious. And God saved him. Amen. On the road to Damascus. And called him into the apostleship, the ministry. And made a great servant out of him. There's a pattern. Who can say that it could never happen to me? Well, now unto the king. Now, being as he's talking about Jesus Christ, I'm going to say that he's talking about the Son of God right here. Unto the king eternal. Well, that wiped out the Jehovah's false witnesses and all the rest of them, the Muslims and all the rest of them. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, blessed and only potentate, and he is the king eternal. There never was, never will be a time when he's not the king of kings. Immortal, undying, cannot die. Invisible, the only wise God. Say, well, it couldn't be Christ, that's God. Read Isaiah and see what Isaiah says about him. He's the son, he's the everlasting father. Unto him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge or this commandment I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Look at chapter 4 and verse 14. He tells him in chapter 4, says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. I believe that's what he's referring to. Now chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. 
They call a lot of stuff science. It's falsely so-called. So Timothy is actually charged by Paul to not faint, to not quit, to not give up, but to keep all of that that's been charged to you. Holding faith and a good conscience. Now I think we can say that conscience is one that's been born again. That's in the new man. That conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. How do you have a good conscience towards the faith? By living it. Knowing it, keeping it, and living it. Which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Well, now that word shipwreck means what it says, shipwreck. Well, I understand that the metal ships we've got today hold up pretty good. But when they crash, when they crash, they, the Titanic... Broke up in pieces. Well, these are all wooden sailing ships. And when they wrecked, they broke up in pieces. Well, whatever he's talking about, he says Hymenaeus and Alexander must have gone shipwreck according to the faith. Verse 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? Now we have some more reference to Hymenaeus. I'm not sure which Alexander this is. Paul had said Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. I don't, think, no, I don't really think it's the same one, but it could be. But that was a common name. Hymenaeus wasn't as common. But of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander... Whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Well, if their faith had become shipwrecked, they're in trouble. But they didn't lose their salvation. They had a messed up life, bad messed up. But Paul, with his apostolic authority did the same thing to them that he told the church at Corinth to do to that fella in 1 Corinthians 5, deliver him unto Satan, that he may learn not to blaspheme. Hymenaeus and Alexander. It appears to me that he held out a little hope from them to get straightened out. So, did they lose their salvation? what the... Fallen from grace people do. They, with these say they lost their salvation. I don't think they did. But look look here at uh, chapter two, uh, 2 and verse 17. In 2 Timothy, I'm sorry. Verse 17, Their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Well, we don't really know all these people just by what they're mentioning here. 
Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 5 real quick. Paul tells the church at Corinth, he's judged in this case about this man committing fornication. And the church hadn't done anything about it. Matter of fact, they were patting themselves on the back that they hadn't. How merciful they were. But he said in verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, there's the church in its church meeting under the authority of God. And my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So bad as that guy was, Paul didn't say he was a lost man. Church discipline, which is what he's talking about, is designed... Not only to purge the church of open sin, but also to salvage the sinner. And you get in 2 Corinthians, there's, Paul said he had suffered enough. Go back to him. So there's evidence that, that he was restored to fellowship. And so it worked. Now, church discipline should work. It would work. If all the fellowship and churches would honor the discipline exercised by the churches. Instead of running in there and saying, oh, we can handle you, come on, we'll take you by statement. We won't work it out, we'll take you like you are. Well, I've had it done to us a lot of times. And that's what's broken up the fellowship amongst the churches in Fayette County in our surrounding area, because people, they're so, I heard one pastor, heard him say this myself. He said, it's not our job to kick them out, it's our job to get them in. Denying the scripture right in the pulpit of a Baptist church. Well, <clears throat> anyway, I'm not 100% sure that I know everything that I need to know about the apostolic authority. But you can't deny that the apostles had a, an authority that the average preacher didn't have. And so I'm thinking that's the explanation when Paul said, I have delivered. A pastor does not have the authority to exclude someone from a church. Amen. No pastor. I've heard pastors, well, I have to kick them out. If you did it, it's unscriptural. You need to go back and repent of that. Well, you know what I mean. No, you need to say what you mean. Amen. Because I take you for what your word is. He said, you kicked them out. Well, if that's, if that's kind of how you're conducting church discipline in your church, you're a big, as big a heretic as I know of. You completely deny church authority. Discipline is performed by the church. By the assembly, when they are assembled together, not in a deacon's meeting or a committee meeting, as many churches do it, because they don't have the guts to, to do what God says to do. <clears throat> Chapter 2. 
I exhort, therefore, to exhort is to encourage and pump some up about doing what they should be doing. So I exhort, therefore, now this is to Timothy, Timothy as a young pastor. And so this, this instruction goes to every true New Testament church. Therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Prayers and supplications. I believe supplications are intensive praying about certain issues. Prayer is general praying about what we should be. I think that's the difference. Intercessions, going for different individuals between and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, I got three times that word all is used here in these verses. I'm going to talk about each one of them. I think that all three mean the same thing. Does all mean all? I can't think of a case where all means all. You say, well, what about all of sin? There's an exception. Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? All, I'm going to say seldom if ever, means all. Without limitations. It means within its limitations. Now look at this. He tells us in the church to, by prayer, supplication, intercessions, and giving of thanks, how do we do that for everybody in the world? Anybody got, got an idea how we could reasonably do such a thing? Now, I've heard prayers of, Lord, save the lost. Lord, heal the sick. You have to deny plain truth, revealed truth about God and His will to do such a prayer as that. What a ridiculous prayer. I don't think God honors that prayer. Lord, save the lost. Are you telling God what to do? I know there are those that are not, He's not going to save. He plainly says so. In his word, if we're supposed to pray against, no, we're supposed to pray within the will of God. So I believe this word all means for all kinds of people. I think I've made my case for that. For kings and for all that are in authority. Folks, I don't know who all's in authority in this world. What, I do, what, what, what do we do? Lord bless all the kings. What about all the queens? What about all the presidents? What about all the dictators? That's totally ridiculous to put that kind of an interpretation on this. 
he says then, for kings and all that are in authority, lead a quiet, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Does the, I don't, there's not even a Siam now. Does the king of Siam have anything to do with our peace and quiet? Does, uh, I don't know, name one, I don't even know who's president of Brazil now. Like, they just voted him out or something. We have no ability to pray for everybody like that in the world but all kinds, and contextually, for all that have an influence on us leading a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, they just passed a bill, and there were some Republicans that voted against it. In Congress, but the Republican majority uh, carried it. If they perform a baby murder, abortion, and it doesn't work, and that baby is born alive, now there's a law that says they have to treat that baby. They can't go and cut its head off sitting on a shelf. Like the Virginia governor, Democrat, I can't think of his name and don't want to think of his name. But he, the, the Democrat governor of Virginia, bragged about how he did it. When abortion didn't work, put them up and let them die. Lay them up and let them die. Blatant murder. And they had him as governor of Virginia. Amen. Now, I thank God that that bill was passed. I hope they enforce it. And if some so-called doctor decides he's going to murder that baby after it comes out of the womb, I hope he goes to the electric chair. Because he's a murderer. Now you see there is government having something to do with our lives. If we can live them in all godliness and honesty, murdering babies is not godliness. I hope somebody hears this and challenges me on this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Boy, that ought to be enough, enough impetus for any of us to serve the Lord. For it to be good and acceptable in his sight. Verse 4. God our Savior. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now the Armenians say, well see God wants everybody to be saved.
If God wanted everybody to be saved, he could empty up hell tonight. If it was God's will for everybody in the world to be saved, it's not God's will that every human being be saved. But that's all kinds of men. Jew and Gentile. We're not to get to where we say nobody, if they don't look like me, they couldn't be saved. All kinds of men and women to be saved. And when they're saved to come unto the knowledge of the truth, they got to be taught. They don't come unto the truth unless they've been taught from the word of God. Because there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You've got the deity of Christ, you've got the humanity of Christ, and you've got the mediatorship of Christ. I don't know y'all remember me telling this or not, but I told it several places. Anybody remember Everett Trainer? He was pastor over second and high long. Uh, it's still a church over there. I don't know who's pastor of it now. But old brother trainer, he was a, an old country boy. And God saved him, called him to preach. He came out of Mercer County. He was so poor when he came to school every day, he had no 494. He knew how much gas that thing used. And however much gas he had that day, he calculated the miles he could run with it. If he f figured he could run 40 miles, he'd drive out 20 miles and park the car and get out and walk the rest of the way, and then come back so he could get back home. You think you have a rough time? That old boy had a rough time. But he loved the Lord, and he was very bold. I've had him out. He, Made some women so mad when he preached out here walking up and down the aisle, calling them husbands if they're sucking on cigarettes and pointed right at a couple of them sucking. That he didn't know the word, but they, they sucked on cigarettes. <laughs> you think I rebuked him over that? Heck no, I didn't. He told the truth. Anyway, The old St. Joe or old Good Samaritan Hospital off of Limestone. Used to be a great big old-fashioned looking building with big steps out front. You walk up those steps to get to the main entrance and all that. Now they got there where you drive down all that. It's, that's UK now, isn't it? Anyway. He's going up to make some visits at the hospital. Remember old time he used to wear these old blue serge suits. And he had on a white shirt and some kind of, I don't know what kind of tie it was. And he had on black work shoes with white socks and them pants just a little bit too short for him. So there he was, gray-headed, glasses looked like Coca-Cola bottles turned upside down. <laughs> Thick glasses. There were three Catholic priests walking down the steps as he was going up. He said, hi, fellas, how y'all doing? 
And those preachers. He said, fellas, let me ask you a question. He said, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. Who is it? <laughs> they looked at each other and said, I'm going to ask you again. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. Who is it? And they just shook their head, looked at each other, didn't say a word. He said, is it you? I'll tell you how bold he was. His old man, his wife wouldn't go with him. He got, he got the urge to go do mission work in Israel. Wow. He went over by himself, old man. He stayed for a while. I don't know how he did. Came back. He's dead now. But he had a holy boldness about him. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Not Mary. Not the Pope, not a priest, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There's all again. Did Jesus die for all of the sins of all of the people? If he did, then God is a brute for sending anybody to hell because Jesus Christ has already paid the price of everybody's sins. But we know good and well, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And that all means all in the sense of the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought they had a got lock on God. Come find out he didn't even know God. The Samaritan woman, a Gentile, she was saved. And that's what all means there. Doesn't mean anything different. Whereunto I am ordained. An ordination is a commandment, is a, is a given a commandment. When a, when a preacher or a deacon is ordained by a church, they ordain him to be whatever office it is. I'm ordained a preacher and an apostle. Notice, he was a preacher, proclaimer, kerooks, and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now see, he's got the Gentiles in there right now. So contextually, all means all kinds, Jew and Gentile. I will, therefore. All right, now, will in verse 4 is the Greek word thelemai. Will in verse 8 is budamai. Will, in verse 8, means this is a command of God. That men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. <clears throat> you notice a lot of folks, these big churches and all that with the big bands, they all keep their hands raised up. 
You ever notice that? So why don't y'all raise your hands? Well, we can do it if we pray, but that's not what it's talking about. Men, now that word is on air in the Greek. That means mankind, man, man gender. It's not anthropos. It's man, male species. Pray everywhere. Leading in prayer. That says lifting up holy hands. It has to do with praying, doesn't it? Lifting up hands. But here's what the holy hands are. Lifting them up. You live in what you're praying. You live in what you're preaching. There's the holy hands to be lifted up. Without wrath and without doubting. Without anger and without doubting. I've told a story here. I, I never saw it, but before I got here, some old farmer came in on Sunday morning. The pastor called on him to pray. He said, Preacher, would you call on somebody else that I ain't fitting to pray? He said, The dogs got in my sheep and I ain't fit to pray. <laughs> he didn't call, he'd call on somebody else. Without wrath, this is what it says, isn't it? Without doubting. We'll read James' first chapter. A man that doubts, prays and doubts, is a double minded man. And let not that man think that he should receive anything from the Lord. Amen. In like manner also. Well, now that's for the men. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel. With shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, we're talking about the sphere and service of men in church, and now we're looking at women. Now, what about this braided hair, gold and pearls and costly array? Don't call undue attention to yourself. Modest apparel, that's what immodest is, called an undue attention to yourself. Uh, you see women all over showing skin, flesh, and everything else they've got. It's all over. Modest apparel means long sweeping. For you don't show and try to seduce men. Anyway, that's what a modest apparel is. And I believe modest apparel also would refer to men. Amen. Had a fellow one time over at Lexington Baptist College, got up at chapel and he preached. And he preached about these women wearing these uh, slacks. And I mean, he just about sent them to hell. It was that hard. And I went to him, I said, brother, where'd you get them pants you got on? Did you get them from an infant's department? They're skin tight. And here you are, you've run your mouth on these women, and they wear, if they wear something that's, that's nice fitting, modest, and you come in here and run your mouth, Dress like that, 
you ought to be horsewhipped. Any man to go out looking like that. And I'm telling you, they were skinned. Well, this is all I got. I said, I believe I heard you say that about those women. They said, oh, that's all we got. Well, there ain't no excuse for that. Well, there ain't no excuse for you. I'll tell you who he was. You pushed him hard enough. Anyway. Verse 10. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. I don't think I have to tell a saved woman how to dress. I think a saved woman understands. She's not out here trolling. You look nice. You look presentable. You look nice for your husband. But you're not there to have all the heads turn, turn about and look at you. That's what becomes women professing godliness with good works. Then he says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer, allow not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, you know I don't insist our women keep absolute silence. And I don't believe that's what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, I know it's not. We do not keep our ladies in absolute silence. I don't know any Baptist church that does. If they kept absolute silence, they could not sing. For when you open your mouth and utter a tune, you have broken the silence. And the Greek words, absolutely, femao. The Greek, the Greek words absolutely indicate that. Now, when he said that every mouth be put to silence, there's absolute silence. But look at his context. No, we don't need women preaching to a mixed congregation. Amen. That's the sphere of a man. Doesn't mean he's better. It's just the sphere of a man. We'll see why. In just a second, I think I'm about done. Verse 12. A woman usurping authority over the man has something to do with what happened in the Garden of Eden. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Eve was made to be a helper to Adam. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Like it or not, John MacArthur had a bunch of people get up and walk out of his church because he was talking about marriage and the man's place and the woman's place and doing it from the scriptures. Had a bunch of them get up and walk out because they're not going not going to tolerate that. I went to perform a wedding one time for these people. And, uh, <laughs> shoo, I've never been to such a place as that. High dollar. Everything about it. High dollar. And I got out there and I, I had typed out the wedding ceremony. And uh, the mother of the groom got a hold of it. And she was a politician she was a women's lip 
movement. She was furious over that. They came to him and said, she wants you to write that out. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I told you, this is what I do. I won't, I won't strike one word of it. And if you want to get somebody else, you're welcome. I was ready to leave. It was a big mansion out there. <laughs> yeah. And they went to her and said, oh, he's going to leave. He's not going <laughs> to Tell me what to preach. I don't care who you are. If it's president of the United States, it wouldn't would have made any difference. Get rid of me. But if I'm here, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Uh, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, the rest of that story is that Adam went into it with his eyes wide open, but the problem is that Eve got deceived, proving that she was in the wrong place. She made a decision she wasn't qualified to make. They said, well, what would have happened if she hadn't? I don't know. You'll have to take it up with God. When you get there, you ask him, because I'll, I'll not know this side of heaven, may not know up there what would have happened. But, is what we're dealing with now. And then verse 15. Notwithstanding. Alright. The woman's place. Is not. Preaching in a pulpit. What's these women's name. The pastor and all that all over. They can't preach this. They have to forget. They have to cut that out of their Bible. In several places. But anyway. Uh. That's just not the sphere of the woman. Is there something for the woman to do in life and in the Lord's service? Absolutely. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved. That's not salvation of the soul. Her life shall be gathered in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. If she does what God calls her to do, God called a man, he's to be, whether he does it or not, that's what he's responsible for. And she's to do her side of it. And she does it, if she does it well, men have, a, have an effect on children, that's sure. But it's the woman who's with the child more than the man. And she needs to set an example and teach those children of what to be. Anyway, that's how she'll gain her life. All right, we'll take the next chapter up.